0: Well, you sound better than the Denver Broncos secondary. Sorry if you're a Denver fan. It was ugly, that one play. Moving past the past. You know, there's not a one of us that doesn't think about things in our life that happened a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, sometimes decades ago. And we shake our heads and we wonder why how? We want to leave it behind, but we think about it. We mold it over. We want to begin with a clean slate. And we're excited for every new year going, okay, this is going to be a new life. This is the year I leave the past behind. And yet the past always seems to follow. Can you relate? Go over to Revelation 12. There's a fundamental reason it is hard to leave the past behind. And let me tell you the good news. It's not your fault. Now, if you don't respond to this lesson, then that's your fault. But the fundamental reason why it's hard to leave your past behind is not your fault. So that should encourage you right there. Revelation 12, starting in verse 9. It says, The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. Unfortunately for you and I, we live in a world that is filled with an ongoing spiritual battle. And most of the time we live our day and we do, we're not in tune with it. In fact, maybe for many of us, we don't even really believe that there's a spiritual battle. But I can assure you it's real. It exists. And you're in the middle of it every single hour of every day, whether you accept it or not. We have an opponent. His name is Satan. It means accuser. Before he was thrown out of heaven, the Bible tells us what he did. It says the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night. You know, if you told somebody, I am a fisherman, you don't really go, well, then what do you do? Because a fisherman fishes. We wouldn't be surprised. Oh, and you fish? Scott Dardarian, he's an electrician. It would not surprise us to find out that he does electrical work. Like you don't hear that and go, that blows my mind. You're an electrician and you install ceiling fans and light switches and things like that. No, it goes right with the program. But Satan's name is Accuser. What does the Accuser do? He accuses. Well, he used to do it before God day and night, but he got thrown out of heaven and he got thrown down here. So, what do you think the Accuser's doing? Well, he can't bring it up to God all the time. But he can bring it up to you. He is a professional. Of reminding you. Of your sins. Your faults. The things in your character that you don't like about yourself. The words that you've said in the past that you wish you could take back. The actions that you've done that you're embarrassed and ashamed of. And Satan will do everything in his power to keep your attention focused right there. An anchor is something that keeps a boat from moving. And a lot of times when we think about anchor, we think, well, that's good because an anchor keeps us from drifting, it keeps us from smashing into the rocks. You know, Satan wants your past to be an anchor. He wants to keep you from moving to God. In Hebrews chapter 6, the Bible talks about a different anchor. In the whole book of Hebrews is talking to a group of people that are struggling in their faith. They're thinking about leaving that way of life and going back to the old way. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to convince them, hold on strong, stay faithful, you can do it. And he's talking about the promise of future blessing. And in verse 17 it says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Think about that. Brought a visual aid. This right here is an ice axe. You need an ice axe if you're ever going to travel in, uh, you know, over a glacier, over ice covered land. If you're trying to cover uh, a mountain, you know, you wear these shoes. Actually, they're called crampons and they strap to your boot and they are heavy metal spikes that are super sharp. Well, the thing that an ice axe does is it's an anchor. Now, every once in a while, you need it as an anchor to keep you from dying. Because if, if you're on a, a sloped hill that's pure ice and you fall, you start sliding really fast. And I remember taking a winter mountaineering class, Cesar Felici, Armando Hernandez and I did. We went up into the Sierras in the uh, early spring and uh, we were getting training in winter mountaineering. And so we had to use the ice axe. And so what the instructor did, he said, OK, we're going to draw a line, you know, in the snow right here. This is the cliff. If you slide past this, you die. And we go up the mountainside. And he would make us go, okay, you have to go head first on your back down the hill. And then when I tell you, once you've slid far enough, then you can use your ice axe uh, to, they call it self-arrest. Basically stop. And, you know, and so we're practicing and you're falling all different ways and you'd put this thing in the ground and all your weight, and you know, you'd skid to a stop because it's not just simple on a slippery slope to put a spike in the ground and if you feel this thing, it's sharp. And we'd practice and we'd go and then we'd slide and we'd go over the line and he goes, you died. Sorry. Practice Again. Well, you hope you don't fall, and sometimes you just need an anchor. If you're doing lousy, you just need an anchor to stay put. This sermon's talking about moving forward. Most of the time, you use your ice axe to move forward. And you put it in the ground, and you take a step. And then you put it in the ground, and you take another step. And so it's an anchor. It's something firm that you can hold on to. To not get stuck. Because you're looking for traction. You know, if you've ever driven and you've ever been on black ice. You know, it's. I don't care if you have, you know, anti-lock braking. Don't ever think, oh, that'll save me with black ice. No, you're just going to go. Same things on a hillside. Now, spiritual life's that way. And sometimes it feels that way. We're trying to move forward. And we just keep... Falling down, we keep sliding back. I want to leave the past behind. I want to get to the summit. But what what do I hold on to? You know, ice is isn't going to help you in your spiritual life. But the writer of Hebrews says, we have this promise as an anchor. You know, a relationship with God and a promise of the blessing for the future in your life is an anchor that's going to allow you to move forward. But are you locked into the anchor? Are you tied in? Because a relation with God is the very thing that you are looking for. Whether you came here this morning thinking that, that is the single key to leaving your past behind. I want to talk about uh, three areas to move past. The first one hurts from Now I put it first because it's usually the thing we're thinking of first when we're talking about leaving the past behind. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 12. It says for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You know, you read that, how do you feel? I don't know, my first thought is I feel exposed. You know, you ever been around somebody and and you just have this feeling like they see right through me. They know what I'm really about. Or if you're talking to your parents as a kid and you're lying and you just say, I know they know I'm lying, but I don't want to tell them. You know, sometimes that's how we view the Bible. I came to church, but I want to tell everybody that life is good, that I'm happy and I'm fulfilled. But I read the Bible and it just makes me feel lousy about myself. It's just a list of things not to do. I read all these passages that talk about sin, and that's me, and it just makes me feel horrible. And so I don't want to come to church. Or I want a different church, one that tells me I'm awesome. Yeah, even the thoughts and attitudes. You go, I thought actions were bad enough. Not only that, the Bible says that we have to have the right attitude. We can't do the right thing and roll our eyes at the same time. We can't smile and do what's right and have a stinky heart on the inside. You know, sometimes we feel that way. Well, if I just do what's right, then that's okay. You say, wait a second, the Bible says my heart has to be right too. My thinking has to be right too, and it's going to judge me there. Oh, gosh, see? Now, you're just anchoring me further in the past. You're just making me feel worse. I was excited about changing, and now I'm depressed, and I don't want change anymore. That's why we need to keep reading the rest of the Bible. Verse 14. Therefore, now, what, what did we just read? All this thing about the Bible is going to show us what we need to change, and it's exposing the thoughts and the attitudes, and it's going to judge us, and it's going to show us where we got to change. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, The one who can relate to your hurts and your shame and your failings and your mistakes and your sorrows and your embarrassing moments, the one who can relate most to you is Jesus. He's the one that can put his arm around you and say, I know how it feels. I've been there. It is hard. It is sad. It is shameful. Because Jesus suffered under every single temptation that you and I will ever face. Now, Jesus never sinned, but he can relate. You know, too often we read the Bible and we read Jesus like he's just a superhero. And there's no relatability factor there. No, Jesus is 100% God, but he is 100% human. And so the writer of Hebrews says, yeah, here's what the word of God's going to do in your life. It's living and active. It's going to show you these things. It's going to expose things in your life. But Jesus, the great high priest, is going to say, I know how you feel. I felt that pain, too. He says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, a couple of key things here. First of all, it says approach the throne of grace with confidence. Now, if you're like me, the last time in your life that you feel confident is not when you're thinking about all your sins. Like, to, to think about my sin makes me feel unconfident. You see, confidence is found at the throne of grace, not on our own. You see, and that's the key. Say, how are we going to overcome the hurts of ourself from the past? It only happens at the throne of grace. So approach it with confidence. That's what we're told to do. You say, well, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that that's what... You know, Hebrews tells me to do, but I don't feel confident. You need to hear me on this point. That is not God's fault. That is not up to God to change. That is baggage that you're bringing in. You say, what do you mean? Well, I remember a time going to Disneyland. And uh, Cheryl and I took our kids, and we went, and they had just started the Fast Pass. You know what Fast Pass is? You know, you get that little ticket and you can cut in line in front of everybody. It, it was like the opening week of Fast Pass. And we walked in and they had Disneyland employees near the front of the park going, hey, let me show you Fast Pass. I kid you not. Ninety five percent of people were like, uh no, 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 thanks. No, thanks. Because you know what they were thinking? You're trying to sell me something. You know, it already cost my right arm for a turkey leg. Not spend another nickel on your fast pass. Well, fortunately, at least we were inquisitive enough to go, well, like, what is it? And the lady explains it. And I go, Oh, that's like the most amazing thing ever. Why isn't everybody using this? She goes, I know! You know, and she's sitting there going, I'm trying to tell these people they got the most amazing opportunity. I don't know how many rejectors of the fast pass program I cut in front of. But it was a lot. <laughs> it was a crowded day at the park and we went on every single fast pass ride. Boom, boom, boom. Because nobody would use it. And I thought, man, I hope it stays that way. Unfortunately, the next time I went back to Disneyland, people had figured out FastPass and would use it. But that was like the greatest trip to Disneyland. You know what, are we rejecting the greatest thing that God has to offer because of our baggage? No way! I'm not going. God's like, come on, I want to help you. He goes, I feel lousy. I don't want to go. Do you realize that you have to acknowledge your sin to receive mercy or find grace? Because if you you sit there and go, no, I did not sin. Well, then you don't need any grace or mercy anyway. You see, it's kind of a catch-22. You have to acknowledge what you did before God to actually get the grace and mercy that we want. And sometimes we're so... You know, defensive. We're so prideful. We just want to argue. So we don't get the very thing we need. You know, most of the time, pride and uh, being argumentative is all it is is a defense mechanism. You know, the most hot headed people are usually the most insecure. And they don't want anyone to go there, so they just yell louder. They're not really confident, they're afraid on the inside. They are scared of who they are. So just get more angry, because that way nobody can tread into who I really am. But the thing we need most is grace and mercy. Man, don't we love mercy? I love mercy. Mercy is that you don't get what you deserve. I love that. You know, be careful when you say, well, the world should be fair. Man, I don't want it to be fair because I couldn't get grace or mercy if it was fair. I love grace or mercy. You just go before God and he says, I love you. You're awesome. One of the most amazing things about your relationship with God. He can't love you more on a good day. And he can't love you less on a bad day. Now, we're humans, so that's so hard to believe or accept, but that's the truth. On the worst day of our life, God loves you. And he wants to be close to you. you see, if we're going to overcome hurts from ourselves, we have to go to God. Because that's where the relief is found. It's in the grace and the mercy that he offers That's where confidence will be to truly move on. Oh, yeah, you've got to acknowledge the sin. But mercy and grace is what follows, and then you can leave your past behind. The second area we're going to move past the past is hurts from others. Go to Hebrews 12. You know, the thing about hurts from others is you didn't really have anything to do with that. They hurt you. They sinned against you. So you can't really repent of that. Now you can try to avoid those people for the rest of your life. You won't ever get married. Um... Because there's a 100% chance your spouse will sin against you. Save yourself the trouble now. Don't have kids. (laughs) And if your children don't have parents. Sorry, you're stuck. Um, Don't have roommates. Don't have co-workers. Don't have friends. Because there's a 100% chance that you spend long enough with somebody, they will sin against you. To go, well, well, you know, what kind of life are we looking at if it's just, if somebody hurts me, I, you, you know, you're dead to me. No more future contact with you. You know, some people, that's how they live their life. They become more and more isolated. But are they leaving their past behind? No, they're anchored to it. It controls them. Anger, resentment, bitterness just fuels their life. They wake up every morning thinking about it. And it could have been something decades long ago. Hebrews chapter 12 says in verse 14 and 15, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many say, what causes bitterness? When people hurt us. When they disappoint us. When they let us down. We're not bitter about happy things. If you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, you're not bitter at the Broncos. You're like, yes, I love it. Like, that's awesome. No, what are you bitter at? Hurts. That life has caused you, that people has caused you. And it says that a bitter root can grow up to cause trouble and to defile many. So if we're going to move beyond hurts from others, we need to forgive. Now let's talk for a moment about what, what forgiveness is. Forgiveness means to acknowledge the offense. Sometimes people say, Forgiveness means that you forget about it. No, actually, forgiveness means that you remember it. You say, well, what do you mean? No, forgiveness means I acknowledge the offense that you committed against me, but I release you from it. You see, sweeping something under the rug is not forgiveness. And I promise you, you've experienced in your life, ah, forget about it, it's not a big deal, you sweep it under the rug. I'm just going to move on. What do you think the next time they do the same thing? Ah, now, that's twice you've done it. I thought you said forget about it, it's not a big deal. You swept it under the rug. We keep track. You see, forgiveness acknowledges the offense but leaves a clean slate. Now, let me also tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not mean to trust that person from that moment on unconditionally. You say, what do you mean? Aren't we supposed to trust? Yeah, but trust is given in increments. If somebody steals a thousand dollars from me, I can forgive them. But that doesn't mean I'm going to invite them over and leave a lot of cash on the table. I forgive you, but I don't trust you. You see, and sometimes we think that to say I forgive you means that we have to, you know, not have any, you know, hindrances to trust. No, trust can be earned back over time. You can forgive without having to say I completely trust you for the future. And so there's a huge difference there. And sometimes a wrong definition of forgiveness can be a big barrier to move on. Because we think that that means I have to allow myself to go in there with the same level of vulnerability. No, you don't. You're not required to do that. But to forgive means that offense no longer has control over you. I heard it this way. When we choose to forgive... I said, that's like, um, you know, putting a shotgun against that person's shoulder. Aiming the gun at ourselves and saying, now, you're going to feel pain when I pull the trigger and that gun kicks against your shoulder. Like, yeah, but you're getting a whole blasted into you from the shotgun. That's like, forgiveness is a choice we make. We're doing so much greater damage to ourselves if we say, I refuse to forgive. And the body, the heart, the mind keeps records. So much depression, so much anger and bitterness and hatred is unresolved hurts that people have caused them from the past. You know, it's amazing that even in the most tragic of circumstances, if we can respond in a godly way, we can overcome. And I can't tell you how many times in in my life where I have a grudge over something and then... I'm talking to somebody else, and they share with me about a situation that's like a hundred times worse than what I ever had to deal with. And I think, oh, it is possible. 1 Peter 4, verse 8, just write that reference down. It says, love one another deeply, for love covers over a multitude of sins. You know, not every offense committed against us is going to be able to be reconciled in a perfect way. In some cases, the person who wronged you may not be alive anymore. And you go, well, well, what am I going to do? You know what? Some of the best news about forgiveness is it has nothing to do with their response. You say, well, if they're unrepentant, then I'm not going to forgive them. No, then you're going to allow it to control you for the rest of your life. You don't have to put yourself back in the same situation, but you can forgive. So it no longer holds on to your heart. Remember what Satan's trying to do? He does not want you to go forward. He wants you anchored in the past. You can be living life, having a good day, and all of a sudden the thought of some hurt from the past comes in there. Say, so where did that come from? The accuser. It's what he does day and night because if he can get you fixated there, he can keep you from going to God. The third area I want to talk about is moving past our past accomplishments. You know, sometimes when we think about the past, you think about the barriers are all my failures. But, you know, sometimes our barriers are our successes. Go to Philippians chapter 3. You know, Dan uh, referred to part of uh, the passage here. I want to go a few verses before it. But Paul had accomplished a lot in his young life before Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus. Uh, He was an enemy of Christianity. And as far as Judaism Uh, was concerned, he was one of the top young guys. He was the future of Judaism. He had zeal. He was, you know, just an amazing intellectual. He was respected among his peers. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ." and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then he says, Not that I have obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes our greatest successes can be the very things that keep us from moving forward to God. Because we take pride in our accomplishments. Maybe it's in our intellectual achievements, you know, how we did in school, or it's our career advancement or promotions or our job title, or, you know, how influence, you know, how much influence we have. You know, our prestige, maybe it's our wealth. The car we drive, the home we have, we can look for it in all different kind of ways. But sometimes it's the very things that we've succeeded at that when it comes to depend on God, we think in our heart, I don't need that. I'm doing fine without Him. Life is good already. But Paul said, I redefine my life in terms of Jesus Christ. He said everything before, it's rubbish. He said what now defines me is my relationship with God. He said I want to know Christ. He said that is my goal. You see, I have a hard time finding motivation. Redefine your life In terms of a relationship with God. You see, because we can always be humble there. Because we never reach a point where we go, I am so close to Jesus, it's not possible for me to improve. There's always room to grow. There's always greater intimacy to be achieved. There's always greater faith. And so if we define our life in those terms, it can motivate us for the future. I think especially for men this is difficult because we define ourselves by what we do. Hey, tell me about your life. And you know what people say? Here's my job. So that defines you, your job. We'll say, then what's going to happen when you retire? Now your life has absolutely no meaning. You know what? That's true for many people. They spend their whole life looking forward to retirement, and after about a week, they go, I'm bored. You know why? Because their career defined their life, and as soon as they had no career, they had no life. You know, sometimes we do it as parents. We define our life. I'm so-and-so's dad. Now, the world would do that. Once you have a kid, you don't have a name anymore. You're just somebody's dad or mom. But sometimes you get to the phase where the kids are ready to move on out of the house, which is a good thing. It's a goal. And as parents, I mean, there's a part of it where we should miss them. But there can be a real depression and discouragement that sits in. Why? Because that was my life. I was a parent. I raised kids. That's what. That's who I am. That's what I did. But now there's no kids at home. Now what? Who am I? So if we're going to move on from the past, we've got to define our life by something that can be faithfully lived out forever. Paul had a lot of things to feel great about himself. And he said, you know what, I, I forget all those things. And I'm just going to look to God. I'm going to redefine my whole life in terms of a relationship with God. Satan is working overtime to keep you anchored in the past. Is he trying through your successes? Is he trying through your failures? Is he trying through hurts that people have caused you? You know, you're in a situation where God says, Hey, I'll be your anchor. Take the next step. Oh, yeah, it's a slippery slope. But you know what? Put my promise in the ground and you can hang on and I'll get you to the summit. The thing that we need most is a relationship with God. Satan will fight day and night to prevent it in your life. Take the next step. If you've never studied the Bible, and I don't mean like reading it, like, you know, staying at a hotel and I opened up. The little, you know, drawer there and there's a Gideon's Bible and I read a few verses and I thought that was cool. No, study it. Study it like an owner's manual for life. If you have never done that, then you haven't had the opportunity to get the anchor. Get the anchor. Plant it in the ground. Talk to the person who brought you to church. And say, study the Bible with me. Show me. I want to take a step forward. I want to leave the past behind. I want to move past the past. I'm tired of, you know, being plagued by these memories and hurts and sorrows and stuff. And I want to have a great year in 2013. God says, approach this throne of grace with confidence. Here I am. Don't let it be like the fast pass. No, no, I, no, no, I don't want to buy anything. No, one's free. The price has already been paid. Ask the questions. Make the effort. Because God is waiting for you with open arms at the end. Let's move past the past. Amen.